I'm kind of waiting for the uh, for the groove to kick in here, Britt. There we go. This is this is Ben standing. Britt Giroli is with me. We're from the Athletic. We're talking with you guys till nine o'clock here on over or overtime. I guess is it overtime today on President's Day? Sure, why not? On one hundred six seven, the fan. Uh, this is a, this Metallica song. If I'm in the passenger seat and uh, there's a, there's a, a buzz in the air and this song comes on. I, I this is like my incredible Hulk moment. Like I start becoming like James Hetfield from Metallica. Minus I, I don't have the the hair to uh to to you know to headbang, but that is the song. I and heard I heard this song already. I played it on my way in. I like to listen to the angriest like type of music when there's traffic for no reason, which there was today. Sure. Um, it was President's Day, and I thought maybe half the city would be off, and I would fly here. And in fact, there were just like pockets of annoyances not even an accident just that pockets of like backup for no reason like a car on the side of the road people have to stop kind of stuff so i listened to metallica aerosmith guns and roses i was like jamming oh we, um, we should have carpooled today because that, that that is all completely uh accurate uh fantastic to see you we did this on friday we are back again today plenty to discuss here on 106.7 the fan uh brit we've got well, first of all, we, we, we it would be fun to talk about your sport. Maybe we will. You you cover baseball for the athletic. Maybe we'll talk about it. Apparently, there's a meeting happening. Uh, maybe there's a sign. Do we think there's any going to be any hope out of this meeting today uh, of, of labor progress? What do we think? It's been over three hours. So, you know, I've been checking Twitter like everybody else. The um, Major League Baseball Players Association, the meeting is just breaking up right now, according to Evan Drellick. Um, So there is going to be. Some actual movement. Uh, we can get into some of that stuff uh, next segment, but it looks like there's going to be a little news on that front that we're going to be able to discuss. Um, there isn't going to be a deal today. Nobody thought there was going to be a deal. However, Ben, they met for 15 minutes the last time. It takes me longer to do my hair. So it's a good sign that this meeting was over three hours long and that there's actually progress being made because February 28th is the deadline. If they don't it's come to some semblance of an agreement by February 28th. The regular season is in jeopardy. Commissioner Rob Manfred said it uh, publicly in Orlando last week. Um, so they are going to meet every day uh, to get this going. So we will take your baseball questions as well throughout the night, um, chat about that, and we will have a little bit more news on that uh, in just a few minutes, what that meeting actually entailed. Absolutely. And we're going to talk baseball directly, like the actual sport at 8 o'clock with our colleague at the Athletic, Keith Law, one of the foremost experts in prospects, I'm excited because this is the first time we'll have a chance to talk about the Orioles in a hopeful way for me. I have I don't get to do that otherwise. Talking about prospects is nothing but hope. That's at least something we'll talk obviously about the Nats as well. And then at 6:30, uh, so just a little bit, our friend Michael Lee from the Washington Post will be here. We'll talk some NBA. We'll talk some Wizards. Uh, the playoff uh, race is on. Maybe not for the Wizards. I don't know that they may they may disagree with me on that, but there was a lot to get into. NBA All Star last night, the seventy five best players of all time, or at least a, a chunk of them, were there. Uh, we'll talk about that, and of course, there's always the Washington Commanders to discuss. Britt, I have a new uh, mock draft up on the Athletic. I know we needed a drum roll or something, or maybe applause Ooh. for that. I'm I'm totally kidding, uh, but in any event, that exists. And what was interesting about that mock draft, if I say so myself, was that. I think I'm the first person on the planet to not give them a quarterback automatically at the 11th pick. We'll discuss that. And if you want to share your thoughts about what they should do at the 11th pick, if they don't pick a quarterback, 800-636-1067. That'll be the question of 
don't know, the question of the hour, at least, if not the night. We'll see if Brett comes up with something better. Are you getting a lot of hate for not picking a quarterback? Oh, I don't know if I'm getting a lot of hate for that. I'm getting, there's just a, there's, a, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the don't read the comments uh, rule that we all get as uh, anybody who writes an article of any kind. I try to live to that. Some people are great. And to be honest, they, uh, typically the people in the athletic are generally pretty nice, depending on what the topic is. But the last few days has been rough in my Twitter feeds for various reasons. Not so much this draft, but. It feels like there's a lot of negative in the air right now with with all things Washington Commander. So maybe I'm just getting the uh, <laughs> some of the uh, some of the uh, brunt of that. I was just wondering if I should encourage people to like troll you if you hadn't got enough. Like Ben, you're oh. an idiot. Why do you cover this team? This team needs a quarterback first and foremost. Well, Although you-, you make a good case, and also. It's not like there's a Joe Burrow in this draft, and it's certainly not like there there would be a Joe Burrow getting to them where they pick. It's not like they have the one pick or the two pick, and we've talked about this ad nauseum. It feels like last year was the year that they really shouldn't have been any good. They should have maybe tanked, even though that's not a thing that happens in football. It's it's really more common in baseball to get that better draft pick, to rebuild this organization, Um, because really when you look at this team and you look at this organization, you look at the draft – yeah, they might get someone okay, but are they going to get someone who's going to change the direction of well, this team? Well, I mean, the thing, my, my thing is, we look, we spend an inordinate amount of time discussing how are they going to improve at the most important position, and we largely keep talking about they want to get a veteran. It seems like all signs are pointing to, ideally, that's the path they go. We'll see who becomes available and so on. The The free agency and the trade market comes first. The draft is is is, you know, way down the line here at the end of April. So the idea that we're saying they're going to pick a quarterback at 11, I mean, maybe that happens, but if we're simultaneously saying they're going to do whatever they can to get a veteran quarterback here, then they won't necessarily take one at 11. So maybe we should consider a world where that actually doesn't happen. That was basically the gist of my story. I I wouldn't say I zagged for the sake of zagging, but I was tired of watching everybody zig without thinking about, hey, what else could actually happen here? Yeah. Well, so it looks like this MLB meeting is is still kind of, um, going on. Evan Drellick said it's breaking up. I just uh, got a text from a player on site who said it's still going on. They're kind of being debriefed right now. So we will definitely have some fresh baseball info for you coming up in just a few minutes on this show. If you are upset like I am that spring training is delayed, upset that you don't have a February vacation to Florida, uh, right. specifically to West Palm Beach, which is lovely this time of year. Right. As, um, long, as long as we're acknowledging the actual reason for being upset, not not necessarily the game itself. Just the better weather. Today was nice, though. Today was beautiful. And I love spring baseball, Ben. Everyone's in a good mood. Everyone, like you said, you're an Orioles fan, and we're going to talk to Keith Law at 8 o'clock about prospects because the Nationals have some really interesting guys in their system as well uh, because of a lot of the moves that Mike Rizzo made in July. Um, I think the cool thing about spring training is everyone has hope. Even if you lose every game, none of it matters. It's a fresh start. And every every year there's a team that surprises. I don't think – you know, Braves fans last year in spring training were like, yeah, our team's going to win the World Series. You know, I'm pretty sure they were complaining about things. Um, you know, the Giants, just a, a team that came out of nowhere. Uh, the 2019 Nationals, you know, they were supposed to be good, but they didn't have nearly the expectations of this World Series bound team. And I think other than maybe the Los Angeles Dodgers, um, I don't know how many teams really do have that kind of like noose around their neck in spring training of pressure already, um, which makes it so fun. You know, you get to see guys who have no business kind of being in the big leagues ever that are these career journeymen that somehow 
get to pitch the eighth inning in a spring training game. And they have great stories. Right. And well, I, you feel, know. I feel like like obviously every sport has its own version of spring training. But like the NBA's version is like literally like 10 days. Like the, the Wizards, I think like their training camp will be less than a week. That does us the nature of that sport. And plus, once the rosters are set, it's obviously some guys will come back from, you know, they they, they, they developed a, a hook shot or improved their left hand. But for the most part, we kind of know what everybody is. In the NFL, yeah, the, the rookies are getting tested for the first time and there's some surprises, but like it, it's not nearly the same baseball. I just think the variance in particular at pitcher that like from year to year, you may not always know what you're getting uh, for, from time to time, but also it, the sun is out. There is something to be said for that. Like my, the issue with football for me, one, it, well, one of it, one issue is that when the season starts, I know winter is coming. It is, it is, it is a March to cold, bad weather. Whereas baseball, it's the literal opposite. This starts. I know now Shorts and sandal weather is coming out. Let's go. It's true. It's very Game Game of Thronesy, <laughs> by the way. You're like, oh, winter is coming. Winter is coming. But you're right. Every you're. Right. I love football as well. And every fall, I'm like, is this our last nice day? Is this our last nice day? Is this it? Once we get to like the end of November, um, you know, you start to wonder. Though um, anybody who says that the seasonal depression is not real, like I challenge you. What, were you in a better mood today? Outside walking Do people around, people say that's not a real thing. I don't know. I think people think maybe it's overblown, but I no, mean, no. I, I mean, I walked my dog today in the middle of the afternoon, and I couldn't believe how many people were outside, just like on their lawns, hanging out on their stoops. I mean, people are just in good moods when it's this nice out. And you're right. I think that that certainly helps baseball. It certainly helps spring training. Is you know, it's February and March, except you know, baseball is going on and people get excited about warm weather and sitting outside with a beer and hot dog. And also and- the, the the slow pace of baseball, it's almost a, an attribute at that point. It's because like, we're not watching spring training baseball for the for the hustle and the bustle. It's like, oh, okay, let's, let's take our time here. What do we got going on? Okay, what can this pitcher do maybe? We're not worrying about, is this a four-hour game? I'll leave in the fifth inning. Nobody cares. That's different. Whereas, like, yeah, in the other, it, it's not the same way in the other, uh, in the other sports for sure. No, and I am curious what Keith Law has to say, um, not only about the prospects, but also just MLB in general. Uh, he's got a lot of knowledge, a lot of insight. He's been seeing a lot of young up-and-coming guys, um, so he might give us a little perspective on you know the draft that's upcoming as well. That's something that's currently being negotiated. The players are trying to get like a draft lottery, similar to the NBA. Um, the owners have kind of opposed that. They only want to do the first three picks. Today they agreed to go four, but the players want to go to eight. They really want to stop the tanking. They want teams to try to win um, continually, which is something the Washington Nationals have really kind of um, been a model for, if you ask me. I mean, even this July, they blow it up. But Mike Rizzo is out there saying, we're going to be as good, as good as we can, as quick as we can. And he doesn't use the word tanking. He doesn't use the word rebuilding. He doesn't use these nonsense three to five year windows that so many GMs do to kind of get fans off their backs. And Ron, I think Ron it's coming. Rivera has uh, gone with the five year plan to yeah. five year, five years of turnaround of culture. So, yeah, I've heard that one. <laughs> and he's coming into a year where it's like, it's like make or break. Like, five, just because you have a five year plan doesn't mean you're going to get to see the five year plan all the way through, right? Can you imagine telling the athletic or, or anybody going into their job and being like, you know what? Not very good right now, but give me five years. That's a hell of a runway. Five years to turn something around. I mean, two to three, you have to start, in my opinion, year three, you have to show improvement. There has to be significant improvement for Ron Rivera next year. Um, and I have felt that way in baseball as well. You go down the street to the Orioles, Mike Elias is entering his fourth year. Why is there no pressure 
on them getting any better. I have zero idea. You, this would be a question for later. I have zero idea if their coach or GM are actually good. How can you tell? Like they have not done nothing. Is in nothing has gotten better. I guess you could argue the minor league system is deeper, but uh, but yeah, it, it is hard to tell. And you're right. At some point, it can't just be you know hope. And that's why, like in terms of the, say an NFL team right now, drafting a rookie quarterback buys you more time than if you sign one of these sort of retread guys. Maybe that gets you more wins this year, but it's not going to give you the hope that uh, and that time that a rookie is going to provide you. All right, we've got a bunch to get to. As I said, Michael Lee from the Washington Post at 6.30 to talk a little Wizards NBA. We'll have Keith Law later talking prospects, and Britt and I will be here talking plenty more with you until 9 o'clock on 106.7 The Fan. All right, welcome back, Fritcheroli. Ben Standig, here with you on Overtime on 106.7 The Fan, here until 9 o'clock, talking all kinds of stuff, including a little baseball. That's right. No deal has been reached between the MLB Players Association and the owners, but they did meet today, Ben, for more than three hours. Now, coming out of that meeting, a few things happened, um, a few minor things, really, uh, but there has been... Basically no progress at all towards an opening day starting on time. So we'll take the breadcrumbs right now. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll take the the baby steps forward. Um, do you uh, want to know what they are? Well, before that, when you when, first of all, when, when you say three hours, as I try to associate that level of time, at this point in life, it's binge watching TV shows. Am I willing to like binge watch for three hours? And what you're describing sounds like you're binge watching a, uh, like a 15 episode series. And I just got through the part where like it, nothing really happened. Like the, the the fun stuff is later. This is just a setup for something that's going to happen in the last two episodes. That's what it feels like you're about to tell me. It, that is true. Um, there is no deal, like I said, they, and they do have until February 28th uh, to make a deal. They're going to meet every day this week down in Florida. Max Scherzer among the players down there today. They're going to start trickling in. Max Scherzer, of course, lives right there. They met in Jupiter. Um, but really, the the big issue um, today that was not discussed: the competitive balance tax, which is something that. Um, the players want to make higher. It's the luxury tax. It kind of acts as a soft salary cap in baseball. Uh, that was not discussed today. What's it called? The CBT, the competitive balance tax. Uh, I literally, when you just said that, I thought you were saying teams like the Orioles have to try. I mean, essentially, <laughs> teams like the Orioles want a strict competitive balance tax. They want more revenue sharing. Sure. They don't want big teams to be able to spend a ton of money. They'd rather pocket the money they get from the big teams. Great. Um, players want this to stop. They want the luxury tax to be higher. They want teams to be encouraged to spend and they want revenue sharing uh, to be something that's tangible. You know, teams can't just take a hundred million dollars and pocket it. They need to put it into the big league roster or something that they can show for it. Um, so that was not discussed today. What was discussed um, was MLB raising the pre-arbitration bonus pool. Um, and this, of course, is according to our colleague Evan Drellick, who is down in Jupiter covering this. This basically means guys like Juan Soto, who were kind of underpaid, young, underpaid, still under team control. They raised that pool from um, $5 million to $20 million. MLB, of course, wants $100 million. The players want $100 million in that pool. They want players to get paid earlier because it's a league of young stars. You got Ronald Acuna Jr. and Soto and Fernando Tatis and Vlad Guerrero Jr. I mean, you've got guys who are theoretically the top players in baseball 
that are getting paid peanuts compared to the veteran players. And so they want to change that a little bit. Um, I mentioned last segment, the draft, how they want a lottery, kind of like the NBA. Uh, right now, it looks like there's a little bit of a stalemate there. Um, the players want eight, the first eight picks to be made a lottery. The owners want four. Uh, they came up one from three. So we are moving at a glacial pace, but we are moving, Ben. I mean, I feel like that's a sport where the lottery actually makes some sense in that most of the times, I mean, the Nats had uh, the, the rare exceptions where back-to-back years, they have the number one pick and they have generational talents that are like super obvious to pick. But it feels like this is like, it'll be interesting to talk to Keith Law. I'm fascinated. How does a guy like that actually study these players when the, 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 the miss rate is astronomical, uh, you know, for all kinds of reasons, even if the number one pick in the draft, it, ha- it can happen in the other sports, but it's much rarer. Uh, so this feels to me like a sport that why not? The, 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 I'm sure the scouts would tell me I'm wrong, but picks one to eight doesn't seem like it's often a major difference. And if the worst team doesn't, you know, instead of picking first, picks fifth, all right, the Orioles are going to undergo with the under slot thing anyway, right? Or whatever they do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could. They could sign somebody for under slot, though it's hard for those first couple picks. You kind of have to give them what they're allotted, and then you can sign guys later. But don't they typically pick? Like, it seems like every year I watch it, Whoever, okay, here's the board, the top five guys. The Orioles have the second pick. Oh, they're taking a guy who's ranked 12th because he'll pay, he'll take the money they're they, offering. They did do that uh, a couple times and had some big busts. But lately, uh, yeah. you know, they've got the Adley Rushmans and they, they've gotten like the, the well, legit fortunately guys. Fortunately, they didn't. Yeah, fortunately with Adley Rushman, they were like, oh, apparently this guy is like an amazing, amazing player and we have, we'll, we'll just take him. That was good. Yeah, so they have done that a little bit. And again, we're taking your calls on, on baseball and, and whether you care or not, if the season is in jeopardy, do you miss the Nats? Um, 800-636-1067. Um, we're taking your calls until nine. But Ben, I think, you know, it's frustrating for fans, and there were some fans there in Jupiter today with signs kind of saying, like, get this going, and I get it. I want it to get going. I also want some of these issues to be fixed. You shouldn't be allowed to tank and tank and tank and still be a profitable organization, and that's 100%. something that I really admire in football, right? As in NFL, stands for not for long, right? I mean, you can't be a bad team forever without heads rolling, and in baseball, it's just not the same. Yeah, no, I mean, clearly the money, you know— uh, I mean, the Orioles haven't been remotely competitive, and you know they're not alone at the bottom. I mean, there's other teams there. Maybe the, the other teams move around a little bit, but yeah, at some point you got to put together an actual product. It's just, you know, the 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 pitching in that sport. It's not. We talk about the quarterback in the NFL being the most important position. Pitching isn't just one player, but if you don't have it, obviously, you know, you don't have much of a chance. Even with the 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 new way of uh, starters don't even last past. The fifth inning uh, often seems like the Orioles, it's hard to get. And you can't just pay for pitching. The, the money is outrageous once you hit free agency. And to develop guys from the prospects up, obviously, the, 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 the hit and miss ratio on that is pretty significant. So, yeah. Well, they can pay for pitching. Every team could pay for pitching. They they choose not to. The Nationals have done a great job of paying for pitching. And sure. they, last I checked, had the same TV network in which the Orioles get the majority of the money. So, they can pay for pitching. Well, Their ownership chooses not to, and I would refuse to let them off the hook for anything that suggests that they simply just can't afford it. Yeah, let, yeah. Let, let, let me rephrase. I just know it's not happening. Correct. And also, there is something to be said for that ballpark, right? I mean, they are moving the fences back a little bit, but if you're a legitimate pitcher, that that park, it does seem like that's, I don't know if it's spooking people the way uh, Colorado spooked people, 
but it does feel like there's a little bit of, uh, uh, I don't know if I want to go there and watch my ERA jump like one and a half. Yeah, yes, it is It is a tough sell to get people there, so I think that, that certainly factors in. But um, again, you know, down the road here in D.C., um, the Nationals don't have that problem, and they've actually, I mean, the reason they won the World Series was largely because they invested in starting pitching, in that rotation, which now is in a little bit of shambles, right? The big questions are going to loom again. Can Strasburg stay healthy? Is Patrick Corbin going to bounce back? Um, how, how are they going to? to do this are they going to be good next year i've heard that a lot uh we will talk about that and more with keith law uh in the eight o'clock hour we'll talk about the prospects i know people are are excited i don't know much about prospects and keith you know does this for a living he knows the nat system very well he was very complimentary last week um in in an article that kind of detailed who's coming and basically ben it's as long as they stay healthy they've got a really good group of top prospects but the depth is lacking other organizations and i think if they stay healthy They'll be able to um, kind of weather this fairly quickly. Uh, but it's interesting because we were talking off air about the XFL and is that like the new minor leagues of the NFL now that they're in partnership with them? And do they get paid? I'm assuming they're getting paid to help the NFL, right? To to kind of have this partnership that they always announce. There must be something. I mean, The Rock was part of the pregame festivities during the Super Bowl. And that was incredibly bizarre because of the fact that I mean, not that he's the celebrity of The Rock. He, he literally owns... The XFL. So I saw that, and I'm sure I wasn't alone in thinking, okay, something must be happening here. That's just too random of a coincidence for that to happen. And then sure enough, a few days later, we get this. So there must be some sort of a relationship other than just, hey, we'll let The Rock come on on, uh, on our broadcasts and do and do his uh, his, his shtick. Um, it's not like The Rock needs more attention. So I'm assuming it's it's a little bit more than that. It was amazing, though. And, and for those who aren't aware, the, the uh, XFL announced that they're going to be partnering with the NFL on specific innovation programs to help advance the game and increase opportunities for player improvement on and off the field. They said health and safety, physical and mental fitness program for players, along with the study of playing surfaces, which I found interesting, equipment and the sharing of game trends and data. So it is a little bit like the minor leagues or MLB does this with the independent leagues. They mess around with the mound and things like that without tampering with their real product. So I'm curious um, what's going to go on in the XFL and you know whether or not that's going to make the game at the NFL level any better. They need to do something, and and I I, I applaud the idea of a potential minor leagues, especially if there's gets to be the point where they actually have players uh, who can develop there. Uh, but on the opposite of prospects, the top 75 NBA players of all time were on hand. At the All-Star Game, our friend Michael Lee from the Washington Post was watching all that. We're going to talk what he saw there. We'll talk some Wizards and the NBA playoff race coming up next here on 106.7 The Fan. In the uh, 7 o'clock hour, 8 o'clock, Keith Law talking prospects, Major League Baseball prospects. But up first, right now, I believe he's on the line. Is he on the line? Not on the line. All right. Well, any minute we'll be talking to Michael Lee uh, from the Washington Post talking NBA because Britt, the all-star game was last night and it was pretty, uh, look, the, the, I'm, I've reached a point in, in life and it's been a couple of years now where the actual all-star game itself, I'm beyond it. I get it. It's fun. It's light. It's whatever. They don't play defense. We get all that stuff. Steph Curry put on a ridiculous show last night with his three-point shooting. That was a lot of fun, but uh, I don't really care about the game. But last night though was a fascinating scenario because you had the in-person reveal of the 75 greatest players of all time in the NBA. They had already announced the list previously. We knew who they were, but to see them all in person, I mean, it is a rare moment in time 
you might be somewhere where, oh, hey, there's Bill Russell or, hey, there's Magic Johnson or whomever it is. They're all there together. And to see them interact and to see basically a museum in front of you is just a, a wild scene. Obviously, I was watching on TV, but I don't get caught up in a lot of, whoa, look who that is now. I, that was a lot of fun for me to, to see all those legends uh, in, in the same space. Yeah, 45, I think, of them were there, which was a pretty impressive, impressive turnout considering like not all of them are still with us and you know just getting that many people together um you know i think you look at this list and you're like man this is a an absolute mount rushmore of the sport right i mean past present future i mean it's remarkable how many times like you said do you have lebron james kareem abdul jabbar michael jordan um you know jordan by the way pulled off like some double duty he <laughs> was at the the daytona 500 yeah. and I mean, having a private jet, I guess, makes time travel very easy. It does. Uh, but really impressive. And shows just how important this event was to him to be there. Absolutely. All right, well, and, and important to me to discuss this is our friend Michael Lee with the Washington Post. Michael, my favorite part of, of, of that, Britt was just mentioning, Michael Jordan was there. You have all these all-time legends. They, they, they were, I'm sure we were all wondering, how are they going to be introduced? Alphabetical, that seems a little generic. So they came up with by positions. But even still, what positions are going last? What positions are going first? They took guards last, and they go. Michael Jordan gets to gets to come in last in Cleveland. You're telling me if this had been in L.A. that Magic Johnson isn't going last? No, in Cleveland, LeBron is there, and they go Michael Jordan. I'm taking that as a sign. I don't know what you think. Well, I mean, Michael probably wouldn't come if he wasn't going to be last. I mean, <laughs> you, you got to make deals. And when you, uh, LeBron was already going to be there, so he had obligations. So he wasn't going to pass it up since, you know, he's already going to play in the game. I mean, you got to make accommodations for everybody um, when MJ's involved. Um, he had other things to do. Obviously, he was in Daytona, you know, with his, uh, Bubba Wallace finishing second. So he didn't have to be there. And everybody knows he didn't have to be there because he's a billionaire. He's an owner. He's, he wasn't in Chicago at the All-Star game that year. Um, so you got to do some negotiation and I'm sure Mike just wanted everybody to know. Yeah, I'm the man. <laughs> I think anyone who watched that documentary knows that that's exactly what he was thinking. I'm um, talking to Michael Lee, Washington Post, uh, on the MGM National Harbor listener line. Michael, as a fan of the game, uh, what was that like? Uh, that whole event it just seemed like it was done really well. It was orchestrated really well. Um, you know, what was that like from your point of view? I think the fact that MJ was there was what pulled it all together. Um, I think if he, for some reason, wasn't there, it would have been incomplete to me. I mean, there are a lot of people who weren't there, um, like Tim Duncan and Scottie Pippen, you know, for whatever reasons they weren't there. Um, but there's only one person that you really had to have in that building that night, I mean, last night, and that was Michael Jordan. Um, it sort of put a stamp on it, like, yes, this is the 75, because he's the one. And so I think that... Um, it was really well done. Uh, it was great to see, you know, moments that you could frown about and get get, get excited about, like uh, Ray Allen shaking LeBron's hand, but not Kevin Garnett and uh, Paul Pierce's hand. Um, you know, so there were just a lot of moments. And then the game itself was pretty, it was very entertaining. Uh, with Steph Curry, you know, a lot of people know he from, was born in Akron, but was only there for like three months. So it's kind of crazy <laughs> that that became a bit of a storyline. But uh, the fact that he had 16 threes, it was, it was a fun night. It was a, it was a good night. Uh, it'd be interesting. I, I, part of me was sort of disappointed. And no, no offense to anybody from Cleveland. I don't want to slight anybody from Cleveland. But you can always have an all-star game in Cleveland. But I felt that for a lot of guys who were there uh, a little older, um, it would have been nice if they could go to a warm place and just really have a nice relaxing time. 
um, to have to deal with bitter cold temperatures, um, you know, for a memorable night. I'm sure that it doesn't, it didn't matter to them, but it would have been cool if they got like sort of a reward for all their service to the NBA, like going to, you know, I don't know, Phoenix or LA or Orlando or Miami or somewhere where they could just put their feet up and relax. Um, having to deal with, you know, bitter cold and snow doesn't seem like a reward for all that you've done to contribute to the game. It does not uh, agree with that. Uh, Ben Standig, Bridger Oli here on 106.7 The Fan with uh, Michael Lee from the Washington Post. So, Michael, it, it, it's it's hard for me. You know, you look at all those players there, and I know you and I have talked to plenty over the years about these various debates. I know you're not a fan of the, the whole GOAT <laughs> discussion and, and all that. But if, even if we don't go into that level, you look at the different players, and you and you, especially the ultimate stars, and you and you think of the era that they were in, what was happening in that era, and how did that player help define that era and when you look at LeBron James I think it's pretty fair to say that in one way what he's going to be defined for is the playerman empowerment era that because guys like we Jordan and 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 well I guess Jordan technically played for two teams but you know the, most of those guys played for one team but LeBron was like maybe one of the first stars who really went from team to team sort of in, in search of the best situation for him but even now it's gotten insane where you have James Harden every year blowing up a situation that he's in to move on. And I'm wondering, have we reached a point? Cause it kind of feels like maybe we have, have we reached a point where player empowerment has gone overboard and now teams are so desperate that they don't know what is going to happen. Well, I think you've just seen it is happened on every layer of basketball from AAU to college with transfer protocol protocols to now in the NBA. The minute you get tired of a situation, you just jump, you know? Um, and I think that now just people don't have the patience uh, they don't necessarily want to endure hard times. They want to just go to whatever situation is fitting for them. And then if that doesn't work out, they move on to the next one. And, um, you know, it's sort of – it's it's kind of interesting because when you look at, um, you know, some of the, the players who were honored, you know, uh, last night, most of them played with one team their whole life. Or if they didn't play for one team, it was like at the end of their career and they were just, you know, just trying to go somewhere where they had a chance to win or the team was rebuilding or whatever. And so they had to move on. But now it just seems like we have superstars who are nomads, which is just like you don't have – you have journeyman superstars. You know, um, I always look at like a guy like Ray Allen who's in the Hall of Fame. Now, he's not necessarily a guy who jumped ship everywhere. I mean, he was traded um, to places he signed as a free agent in Miami. But his number is never going to be retired anywhere. You know, he wore 34 in Milwaukee where he had some great years. Now Giannis has that number. He's never going to have it retired there. Um he, then he went to Seattle, and that franchise is no longer in existence. He had great years there. Um, then he goes to Boston. That number's already been handed out. Um, and then he plays a couple years in Miami. But he's a Hall of Famer, but he's not recognized with one franchise. And I think that that's what we have to get used to. It's just the way things happen. And obviously LeBron played a big role in that. But I think it just is more indicative of just how things are in society, where if you have a difficult stretch, and you have options, then it's, then the best thing is just to leave and not really endure and, and deal with the hardships. But I think that's why guys, people respect guys like Damian Lillard or even a Bradley Bill because you know that they're they're going through some rough periods and hoping that they get rewarded for it in the end. But not everybody has that patience, and LeBron is the forefront of the minute it gets hard, jump ship. Michael, I want you to put on your GM here hat, hat here for a second. When you look at the Wizards, they obviously had that huge hot start to the season – then they came crashing down to earth. Now they're in a weird situation where if they keep winning games, they may reach the Eastern Conference play-in tournament, but they lose any hope of getting an early draft pick. Now, ownership yeah. has not really been 
an ownership that is embracing tanking. And usually I'm all for that. However, when you look at the Wizards and you look at, you know, this run over the last God knows how many years, they haven't had a deep run. So do you try to enhance your lottery odds and kind of sell your souls in the process? I don't think you sell your soul in the process. I think you do it smart. I think you, or if you realize that you're a middle of the pack at best franchise and you have no opportunity of luring um, elite talent to you, either through trade or through free agency, then how else are you going to get it? You get it through the draft. I look at a team like Cleveland right now, um, who was right there with the Wizards in terms of, you know, being, you know, just a middling team. And then all of a sudden they say, you know what, let's just shut it down. Let's just see what we can get. They get Evan Mobley. And all of a sudden they're a top three team right now in the East. You know, sometimes it's okay to go go ahead if you have some talent and, in, 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 you know, already on, on the roster to try to get an elite talent. You know, I thought that what did the playoff berth do for them last year? They went to the postseason. They played five extra games. Uh, they won one more game than they would have had if they, if they didn't go to the postseason. And the guy who was behind it was Russell Westbrook, and he's gone. So what, it, what was the reward for, for having that quote-unquote success? I don't see it as being a reward. I think they were punished for in the long run because they didn't wind up getting a, a truly elite franchise-altering player, which could have been available to them if they had gone into the lottery. And I don't necessarily support tanking. I don't think you should do like what the Sixers did where you just, you know, flush it down for like five straight years and then just, you know, get hope you get lucky and get a couple, you know, good players. I just say that if you have an opportunity and you have a chance to get a good player in the draft, I say you go for it, especially when you don't have anything to play for. I mean, if Bradley Bill's hurt, I mean, what, what good would going to the playoffs right now do for you? Who, who's it going to benefit? You know, because if, say, if Chris Stapps for Zingas comes and he just balls out and they go to the postseason and they, they win the play-in tournament and they go to the, as an eighth seed or whatever, that'll be great. But we still don't know how he's going to play with Bradley Bill. We expect that to just be smooth if he resigns and they, and they commit. Or do we expect them to really become an elite team because they made the eighth seed? I don't believe that's necessarily the case. Um, I think that sometimes you got to make smart business decisions. And the smart business decision is not to try to just get into the playoffs. It's about trying to think about the long-term future of your franchise. I mean, and, and, you know, I know Ted said a couple years ago, we will never tank, but I'm, I'm, I'm laughing. And he obviously wasn't the owner at the time that um, things bottomed out for them to get John Wall, but he was the owner when they bottomed out to get Bradley Bill. So I've seen them actually get elite talent through the draft. Um, so I don't know what the problem is doing it now. No, no Wizards fan is going to be hurt if they all of a sudden miss the playoffs. I think they'll understand if it leads to some talent that they can build around going forward. I don't think any Cleveland fan is mad right now. that They, they didn't make the playoffs last year, but they have to have Evan Mobley. Yeah, it is very hard in life sometimes to make a change when you haven't experienced it yourself. He literally experienced having the number one and number three pick in the draft to lead them to the best stretch they had here in years, and yet we will never, ever tank is the mantra of this organization. Uh, go follow him on Twitter, at Mr. Michael Lee. Read him in the Washington Post. And, uh, you know, he is easily one of my favorites to talk NBA. Glad we got to do it for a few minutes. We will talk again, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Michael. Always always great, always insightful. He's right, though. I was thinking the same thing about Cleveland, Ben. Like, the NFL gets the Super Bowl in this warm, sunny place. MLB always picks a nice all-star venue, and it's the summer, so it's always warm. And then the NBA is like, yeah, come one, come all to Cleveland in February. Right. I mean, it's what, look, if if you need to pass it around, you got to go at some point. But just not for this. You didn't have to do it for the 75th. I'm, I'm with you. Go pick Miami. Go pick L.A. So, somewhere with a golf course. All that stuff, the the, the water. This is a pretty, a pretty much of a no-brainer. I don't, I don't know how. Maybe somebody was like, oh. We awarded Cleveland this thing, and it's also the 75 years. 
Uh, and they were yeah. like, no take back. Sorry. I yeah. Don't know. Very odd. Very odd. But when we come back, we are going to switch gears a little bit. We are going to get to Ben's team, the Washington Commanders. We want to know besides quarterback, what position or prospect should the Commanders target at number 11? We're going to talk a little mock draft. So keep it here. 106.7 The Fan. Richard Rowley and Ben Standing here with you until 9. All right, welcome back. 106.7 The Fan, Overtime. Richard Rowley, here with my colleague and friend Ben Standig, talking all kinds of sports. Baseball, we talked NBA, the big 75 players last night with Michael Lee of the Washington Post. And now we're going to switch to football because Ben has a mock draft, and everybody loves mock drafts. But... But they, but they really do though. Like I know people make fun of them, but like I'm just telling you, having been like seeing how the numbers work, people love they their do. mock drafts. They do. They love them in baseball too because they love predictions. People love predictions, even if you're wrong. Um, By the way, it's the what the mock draft symbolizes is the same thing we were symbolizing with what baseball, what what, what it means to be at spring training. Hope. Hope. It doesn't. We're gonna. Every team will ponder twenty guys that will they will never play for their team ever. But they will imagine that they will and what that would mean if they did. And that's enough for some. But here's the thing. Ben did not pick a quarterback for a team that we have talked so much about this team needing a quarterback. I don't even cover this team on a full team basis. And I feel well-versed in the quarterback saga. So, Ben, I'm going to have to ask you to defend yourself to the fine listeners of 106.7. Why did you not pick a quarterback for them? Um. Boredom mostly, but really, well, I mean, look, if you go, I, I challenge anybody right now, go look at mock drafts and almost universally they have Washington taking a quarterback at 11. If they're doing trades and I, I what, what can I do? If they're at 11, it's Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. It's Malik Willis from Liberty. Maybe shake it up with a Matt Corral from Ole Miss. I, I doubt there's a lot of Sam Howell from North Carolina's, but who knows? It's almost always a quarterback. And the part of the reason is when you're doing the mock draft, and I've done them for years now, you, you have to you have to put the players, you kind of know what 32 players you want to put in the round. Now you have to find homes for them. So you can it, you know, at some point the quarterbacks have to go off the board. Washington is an easy uh place to put them. But here's why I didn't do that. Because the calendar says that free agency and the trade market will come before the draft. And we all keep talking about that Washington is going to be aggressive for a quarterback. When I say we, we're talking about it, I don't mean like we're just imagining. Like It's pretty obvious. Ron Rivera has given uh, uh, umpteen interviews since the season ended, and almost every single time he he literally has his sales pitch down for how they want, uh, how they're going to go after a quarterback or why they think a quarterback would find it attractive here. And while we were talking about this before, about like, these five-year plans don't really work, Ron Rivera has a five-year contract, but he's going to year three. You mentioned before, year three, you need to show progress. He's had two losing seasons. Yes, they technically won a division. He needs a quarterback, and the gap between the haves and the have-nots at that position is more than ever. So I'm just going to assume they will try their darndest to get a veteran, knowing the draft is there as a fallback. And if they get a veteran of note, then they're not going to take a quarterback at 11 in theory. So if that happens, and, and again, we've been asking this question all night besides quarterback, what position or prospect should they land at number 11? 
Uh, we want we want to hear your thoughts on that 800-636-1067. So if that happens, Ben, you're going to zag while everyone else zigs and pick something different on the assumption that Washington already has a solution. More or less. And here's the, there, there's a couple of variables. And we'll, as Britt said, we want your calls 800-636-1067. Maybe at this point we'll, we'll get to them um, at the top of the hour. But there are right now, I think, five quarterbacks that are sort of lumped together um, in this draft. Depending who you talk to, the order can vary. Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh seems to be at the top. And I mentioned the other names, Malik Willis, Sam Howe, Matt Corral. Uh, and then there is also... Desmond Ritter, who would be sort of like the fifth guy, more or less, but some people have him higher. The if you look at like even like our our uh, insider uh, draft insider Dane Brugler in his top one hundred, the gap between those those guys is like ten spots. The in other words, the fifth guy is not much different from the first guy. So if you can get the fifth guy in say the second round, or maybe trade back into late into the first, I think there's potentially decent value there. Again, none of these guys are being projected to be some dynamo for sure, but there is intrigue on some level. They're all, it's not like these are the worst quarterbacks of all time or anything. It's just, it's not as exciting from an upside perspective as some of these other guys, or they're just not, you're not as confident that they'll hit. So I'm not saying that they wouldn't take one at 11, but I'm also saying there's value in waiting on top of the fact that I think decent chance they're going to do everything they can to get a veteran. Well, I, I really actually like this because it means that they're trying to win now and not at the end of, the fifth year of the five-year plan that Ron Rivera has laid out, right? Well, I mean, here's the thing. People think if you draft a quarterback, that means you've solved the problem. It does not. No. It means you've addressed, you, you've attempted to address the problem, and now you will wait and see what happens. No different than if you sign the veteran. Now, the veteran, it's like, okay, we kind of have seen this person. Mitch Trubisky has been in the league for four years. Teddy Bridgewater's been on several teams. We kind of get where they're at. Same thing with, with Taylor Heineke here. The rookie is the unknown. That's like the spring training. We don't quite know what to make of it. And that's where there is some of that hope. But at the same time, it doesn't mean you will solve the problem. And if you're not convinced that these guys are that good, why take a lesser talent at 11, a, pr a pretty good spot to get to get help? Why not address another need and try to figure out the quarterback later? It's not ideal, but it's better than it's, you don't want to make have it cause another problem by overdrafting or taking somebody who, who shouldn't be there. Yeah, it's better than taking mediocrity there. No, I like that. I like that. Uh, when we come back, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. There's some options. And you know what I kind of want your opinion on, Ben? I have like one crazy hot take that I want your opinion on when it comes to the Washington football team um, and a, a big case of the what ifs. And I know everyone loves sitting here and saying, what if this happened? Absolutely. So I'm going to hit you with a little what ifs when we get back from the break. Uh, Britt Giroli, Ben Standing here with you on Overtime until 9.